Good evening. Welcome to this evening service here at Heritage Baptist Church. And if you are joining us for the first time, we do hope and pray that the service would be a blessing to you. We are continuing in our evening service series on the Sermon on the Mount, where we're looking at the greatest sermon ever preached by the Lord Jesus Christ. And this evening we are finding ourselves in a section where we're looking at chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 33 to 35. So let me just commit our time to the Lord in prayer and then we'll consider the text. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you asking that you help our hearts, Father, to be receptive to your word. Father, help us, Lord, to receive your word, to understand it and to go forth and obey it. We ask for your help now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Please help all of us, Lord, and use this service to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As mentioned, we are looking at the text on the Sermon on the Mount, and in this section of chapter 5 where we're finding ourselves, ourselves this evening, the Lord Jesus Christ is looking at instances where God's law is being abused, instances where the, the law of God is taken and the whole point of it is completely missed. What the people of the day, the rulers and the Pharisees had done, is that they would take God's law, narrow it down, and narrow down the focus of it, so as to make it easier for themselves to obey. And so they had done these things to a lot of the commandments. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is going through this section, clarifying what did the law mean and what's the intention of the law. Because what was being done in that time was not what the intention of the law was. And as we've been going through this section, we saw, for example, with the, the teaching on adultery, that they had taken the teaching on adultery to mean that adultery is only if you commit a physical act. If you, as long as you cross that line, that's when you've committed adultery. And therefore, they could then justify themselves and pat themselves on the back that they are not adulterers or adulteresses, even when their minds are filled with all sorts of vile thoughts, all sorts of lustful thoughts. You know, they could give themselves a license to say that they are people who are walking correctly and walking after God's law, even though that was not the case. And so this evening, a similar abuse is being addressed in our text. And so we're going to be reading the text and then we'll look at it and see how in this text, which, God, which part of God's law was narrowed and then ignored. And so let us read the text together there from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. The Lord Jesus Christ says, Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn." But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything, that, anything more than this comes from evil. And so that is the, 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 the teaching that you see there in, that the Lord Jesus Christ gives as he's delivering this Sermon on the Mount. And so the question that then he's confronting us this evening is, what common practice of the day was disregarding God's law? Which part of God's law were they not taking seriously that they had narrowed down to make it so easy for them to obey but completely missed the point? So the Lord Jesus Christ opens up in verse 35 and tells us that you have heard that it was said to those of old. So this is a teaching that's been there, a teaching that was given previously to the nation of Israel. And what was this teaching? That they should not swear falsely. So where was this teaching then given? 
Because again, a lot of these uh, commandments that the Lord Jesus Christ is dealing with here have to do with the moral law. A lot of these flow from the Ten Commandments. So what I want us to do now is to actually go to where this teaching comes from to see what was the original intention that this teaching was given for and how then is it being abused in this time that the Lord Jesus Christ is addressing it. And so I'm going to ask you to briefly turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19. So in our text, the Lord says that you've heard that it was said to those of old. So what was said to those of old? Leviticus 19, it opens up in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Here we see God addressing Moses or speaking to the people of Israel through his servant Moses that they ought to be holy as he is holy. If they are going to say that they are his people, if they are going to affiliate and associate themselves with him as their God, he's calling them to holiness, that they must be holy as he is holy. And so then the question then is, you know, what things ought this Israelite nation to be, uh, should, what things ought they to be doing that will show that they are indeed working in holiness? What are the kinds of practices that they have to be embarking on to show that they are striving to be holy as their God is holy? And we are told there in verse 3, and the, the whole of Leviticus 19 lists these things, but I'm just going to look at a few of them. In verse 3 he says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and father. He goes on to say that you shall keep my Sabbath. So these are the things that they ought to be doing as they walk in holiness. The call is that they should be holy as God is holy. And he continues there in Leviticus 19, for example, in verse 10, you see that he says to them that you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Why? Because you have to make sure that the poor and the sojourners have something to eat. No, he continues in verse 11, you shall not steal or deal falsely. What the Lord is saying here through Moses is that if you are going to say that you belong to him, if you are going to say that you are part of his people, you ought to be holy as he is holy. And how do you show that? You do not deal falsely. You do not steal. And then he continues verse 12, which is going to be the, the text that we're looking at or the command that we're focusing on this, morning, this evening. He says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So there is a command that is given to them to say that you shall not swear falsely and you shall not swear falsely by the name of the Lord. And so this is the commandment that was given to those of old that now the Lord Jesus Christ is addressing here. So now the question that we are asking ourselves, as I've said, that you know, Christ is addressing the abuses to the commandments. What had the Pharisees and the teachers of the day done with this commandment? You know, it's a clear commandment that they should not swear falsely by the name of God or by the Lord's name. And so as they are thinking about how can they make this uh, commandment something that they can achieve, you know, they really have two parts. One is just don't swear falsely, then you'll be fine, right? If you do not go around swearing falsely, then you're not going to run foul of this commandment. But that then seemed like it was too steep a, 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 a requirement. So then what did they resort to? They resorted to say then, let's rather not swear by God's name at all. You know, we will swear, but we're never going to use the Lord's name. Remove God's name from how we swear, and therefore then we are fine, because we will never run foul of what verse 12 says, where it says, you shall not swear by my, you shall not swear by my name falsely. And that is the practice that was then instituted. They started looking to other things to make all spy. They ran away from the name of the Lord. And a similar thing was done with the command to not take the name of the Lord in vain. 
you know, how did they make sure that they always kept that command? They stopped using God's name completely. They just didn't say it. If you don't use his name, how then would you be guilty of using his name in vain? And that is why to this day, the, the word Yahweh, we actually don't have the right pronunciation for it because it had not been used for so many years. You know, we know how to spell it, but how it's actually pronounced, we don't know because there was a practice that was instituted to say, in order to make sure that we don't run foul of this, let us narrow it down and say, just, just don't use the Lord's name. But we see here that they're missing the point because what did Moses or the Lord say to Moses in verse 1? The point of this is that they be holy as God is holy. So for them now to take this and say, instead to make sure that we, we comply with this commandment, let's narrow it down and make it such that it's easy for us to obey. And so instead of swearing by God, because if you're swearing by something, you're saying, I'm committing myself, but you need something to, to, pay, to, 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 to attach your, 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 your swearing to. You know, God is the one who we know that he, he's always going to exist. He's all-powerful. So it, is, it just makes sense that when you swear, you swear by him. But then if you're swearing falsely, you are now dragging God into your falsehoods. You are now committing a vile act of evil. And so what do they resort to do? They find other things that have a sense of permanence, other things that are there that you know, also can be pointed to that. You can say, as that exists, as this thing is there, I then swear. And in our text, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ addresses some of these things that they had done. You know, they said, we're not going to swear by the name of the Lord. But what do we do then? We swear by heaven. You know, I'll look up and say, as, as sure as the sky is above, I give you my word. You know, but what are they doing? They are swearing falsely, but they think it's fine because they are not swearing by the name of the Lord. But here Christ says, that we see them in verse 3, he says, but I say, to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Because they are relying on the fact that heaven is always there, that the blue skies were there yesterday, they are there today, and they will be there tomorrow. That as certain as that is, I give you my word. But Christ says to them, you cannot use heaven and drag it into your falsehoods, for it is the throne of God. You are still dragging God into your falsehoods. You are committing acts of evil, and you are dragging God's heaven, his throne, into your falsehoods. And Christ says, that is a thing that is not to be done. And so as that is taken away, they look around and say, what else can we use? Well, we'll use the earth. You know, the ground beneath my feet is there, it's stable, it's reliable. And therefore they say to people, as sure as the ground beneath me stands, I give you my word. But Christ says to them, that too is off limits, for that is the footstool of God. It does not belong to you. The certainty of the ground, the fact that it is there, you did not create it. You are not the one who's causing it to be there. It is God who keeps and maintains it. And therefore, do not drag God and what he has created and the, his, his maintaining of his creation into your falsehoods. And then other things that they decided to do was to say, you know, if we cannot swear by earth, the, the heavens, we cannot swear by the earth, we'll swear by ourselves. You know, they say things like, as sure as I live, I give you my word. But Christ says that too is off limits. You do not belong to yourself. You did not create yourself. And to illustrate this, what does he say to them? He says, for you cannot make one hair black or white. You, know, you can dye it, you can cut it, you can do all sorts of things, but the dye is going to wear off. You know, it is only God who can change the core substance of your hair. If he turns it white, it's going white and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And so he's showing them here that you don't belong to yourself. And therefore, do not take this body of yours that has been created by God and has been maintained by God for you live and breathe by his power. Don't drag that again into your falsehoods. Take the certainty of God's power that is giving you life and drag it into your falsehoods as you are swearing falsely. 
So the Lord takes all of these things away from them. And so we see here that, you know, they, they had taken all these sorts of things. They, they had missed the point of the law, the point of the commandment, because I really like how the Lord puts it to Moses in Leviticus 19.1, that they ought to be holy as God is holy. That is the point. The point is not for us to narrow down the law and say, where is the line? You know, it is not about law keeping. It is not about me saying, you know, how is the law defined and how do I know and when do I know when I've gone too far? If that is your attitude towards God's law, you're missing it. You're missing the point because the call here is a call to holiness. It is not about us deciding, you know, how far do I go and, and all those kinds of things. And so here the Lord Jesus Christ clearly clarifying and showing them that what they were doing was evil, that they were dragging God into their falsehoods, that the commandment was that do not swear falsely, but they ignored that part, say we'll swear falsely by anything else. But now here he clarifies to them that that is not what they ought to be doing. So that was the, the situation in the time. That was what was happening at that time, and this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is calling out. But what does this then mean for us, you know, in, in today for us here? You know, what, that was what the Pharisees were doing, and these are the kinds of abuses that they had done in abusing God's law. Well, we see here that the, the, the key point, the law still stands, we should not swear falsely. And Christ goes on to clarify what that means when he says, for you, what it is is that you, you should simply let your yes be yes and your no be no, and anything else flows from evil. So what do we take away then from this commandment? What, are, what does this mean for us? Well, one, it means that we ought to be a people that are truthful. We should not be people that are swearing falsely. False statements, false commitments, false, false promises, those should not be the kinds of things that are associated with us. We should be a people that are devoted to the truth, the people who are devoted to honesty. The Pharisees here had given themselves over to evil practices. They were just going around swearing falsely, and it was fine because they said, we are not swearing by the name of the Lord. But the point of the verse still stands. We ought not to be swearing falsely. We have to be a people that are committed to the truth. So that's the first thing that we take from this, that we ought to stay away from falsehoods. Secondly, pertaining to our words, is that we must mean what we say. You know, we should not play games with, with the truth. You know, when we say something, we should mean it. We should not say things just for the sake of saying it. Oftentimes we find ourselves in occasions where, you know, it's the right thing to say. I'm just going to say it because in this kind of situation, that's what you say. But we should not do that. We should mean the things that we say. We shouldn't just go around saying things because, you know, it, 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 it was fit for the occasion. And an example of this that I think might be fitting for us, especially as Christians, you know, are these words that we often say to people. The words, I will pray for you. Someone comes to you with a burden. They are explaining how they are burdened in that time. You know, they, they go through what kind of hardships they are going through. And what's the Christian thing to say? I will pray for you. But do we actually mean it? At that point when we are saying it, is there an intention in our words that I will indeed take this burden of yours before the Lord in prayer? Or are we just saying it because you know, I'm trying to comfort a dear brother or sister? It is the right thing to say in this context. Whether I mean it or not, that's something else. I'm just saying it because it's the right thing to say. We're giving a false undertaking, saying to someone, we pray for you, while we will not do that. And so what we are seeing here is that we ought to be a people who mean what they say. And even more, uh, an even more practical, I guess, example is, you know, we've got the church prayer group. 
Oftentimes, people would put in that group uh, you know, their prayer items, the things that they need to be prayed for. And we see their hands, those little praying hands go up. You know, how easy is it to just press that button and say, you know, I'm praying. You know, when someone looks at that to see that there's 15 people who put up their hands, they're encouraged to say that the church is praying with you. But did you mean it when you put up those hands? You know, do we mean these things? When we're communicating them and saying, we are doing these things, do we actually mean it or are we just saying it for the sake of saying it? So what we're taking, what we must take away here from this command that we should not swear falsely is that we ought to be a people who stay away from falsehoods and we ought to be a people who are committed to mean what we say. And therefore, what ought we to do then? We must think before we commit. You know, we, we must think before we promise or speak. You know, yes, it fits the occasion. Yes, this is the right thing to say in this context. But think about it. Don't just open your mouth and say, I will do this thing, while that is not your intention. Let us get into the habit of rather saying nothing than saying things that we don't mean, giving people false promises and false hopes, that someone is encouraged to think that there is a multitude of believers praying with me, even though that's not the case. So that's the first thing we take away from this pertaining to our words, that we ought to stay away from falsehoods and we ought to mean what we say. But the second thing that we take away from this text that is applicable for us is with regards to our actions. You know, we ought to be people that are reliable. You know, I can be sincere when I say to a fellow brother and sister, I will pray for you. I can be sincere when I make that undertaking. When I speak the words, I mean them. But later on, do my actions come and betray my words? Do my actions come and prove me to be unreliable? Do they prove me to be a liar? You know, it is not only important that we speak truthfully when we speak, but our actions must follow. For if they do not follow, then we'll be proved to be those that cannot be relied upon. We'll be proved to be those that cannot be dependent upon. You know, we ought to be a people that if we've given a commitment to say we will do something, we go ahead and do that thing. We mustn't commit ourselves to things and then, you know, not take it seriously. You know, I said yes, well, it's either, either here or there. When we commit ourselves, it is important that we follow through. And I was joking with uh, Pastor Mike last week that uh, when he, I, I saw him uh, during the service, when we were doing the singing, that you know, we were panicking a bit because when we were about to start the service, he wasn't yet here. You know? And I say I was joking because when we did see that he wasn't here, when we were about to start the service, there was no panic that said him. You know, we didn't start trying to make alternative plans to say who's going to preach in his stead, you know, who's got a backup sermon somewhere. You know, we, we, there was no panic. He wasn't here at the time, but we didn't panic. Why? Because he has proved himself to be dependable. When you know that he's going to show up, he shows up. You know, and is that the case with us? You know, when people are relying on us to do things, do we actually show up? Or do we take our commitments very lightly? We say our words and then the actions don't follow. So it is important that we act in this way, that when we make commitments, we actually follow through with these commitments. I'm going to give an example. I'm going to pick on the students because there aren't many of them here this evening. We, we've got I know, a, a lifts group where we organize lifts for Sunday morning. You know, on Saturday, we ask, send out a form, who needs a lift to come to church? You know, people fill out that form and say, yes, please organize a lift for me. What are they doing in filling out that form? They are sending out a signal that says, I am coming to church. Now you must go and make all the necessary arrangements that I can get to church tomorrow. And the people who are tasked with doing this is they go and organize, they plan the routes, they do all these things, and they send them out. And then come Sunday morning, what happens in the group? Please cancel, please cancel, please cancel, please cancel. 
You know? So these kinds of things where we commit ourselves to things, but we just so quickly renege on them. You know, we, don't, we must have an, an attitude and a behavior and a practice of we must honor our words. Rather, don't put up your hand if you haven't thought about it. You know, we shouldn't be committing ourselves to things and therefore prove ourselves to be unreliable. We must be a people who can be relied upon that when we give people our word, they can then trust that we will come through, the, we will come through and do what we said we will do. And so then what is the takeaway from this point that you know, our actions matter? Is that we must commit ourselves to doing the work. Keeping your word is work. You know, we, we, we shouldn't be lazy. It's hard work. It's not easy. Sometimes you commit to do something and then other things happen. So we must have that intentionality of actually making sure that we put in the work to make sure that our actions or our inactions don't prove us to be those who are saying falsehoods and making false promises to people. Now, I've titled this message, Is Your Word Your Bond? You know, that, that is what it is. Your word ought to be your bond. You know, what the Pharisees were doing is that they had the earth and the heavens and things as their guarantee for the words that they were saying. But Christ here is saying that we should not take an oath. Don't attach other things to your words. Your own words must be the things that people can rely upon. You must be a person that when you have said, I will do something, people can take you on your word. You, know, you must be those people whose words people can bang with confidence. For they know that those words that we have spoken are not falsehoods. And they know that those words that we have spoken are words that we meant. And they know that those words that we have spoken are things that we will actually come through and do. And so that is what we see here from this text. That is the, 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 the message to us. You know, we must be a people that are upright, a people who are walking in truthfulness and a people who are reliable. Christ says it there in, 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 verse, in, in verse 37. Let what you say simply be yes or no. But we must think before we say yes or no. We mustn't just say yes or no lightly. And we must also check, you know, our actions must follow. We mustn't just commit ourselves to things and then leave it as that. So that is the call to us this morning, this evening rather, to say that we must be a people whose words are reliable and dependable, that our words can be things that people can take and thank. And we have a great example of this in Christ himself. You know, Christ, in him, we have the perfect example. He came to earth as a man. And during his time here on earth, he was holy as God is holy. Because we must remember that that is what the point is. You know, even when we were thinking about keeping our words, the point is that we must be those people that are striving to be holy as God is holy. You know, keeping your word shows that it is not the, the end in itself. It is a, a thing that leads us to be holy as Christ is holy. And so Christ came and walked this earth and he did this perfectly. He is our great example of showing this perfect obedience to God's law. That his yes was yes and his no was no. You know, the writer to the Hebrews in describing Christ in, in Hebrews 7, 26, he uses words like these. That he was holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Christ is our perfect example, so we look to him. He is our example, and as Paul says, you know, we must imitate him as he imitates Christ. We are not without an example. Christ is not saying here, come and do these things that he himself has not done. He has walked this road before us. You know, he is the one who is chartering, who's chartered the path for us, and we are called to follow in his footsteps. As his disciples, as those who identify as Christians, those who sit under the lordship of Christ, 
We have him as an example. And then you might think to yourself, you know, I, I hear you, I hear this command. It sounds heavy. It sounds like it's not an easy thing for me to go and put this into practice. And I get the example of Christ, but he's the Lord. You know, who am I? That, you know, what, what do I have that will help me to do this? For it sounds like a tough call. And to that, I want you to hear the word of the Lord Jesus Christ in John 14. The Lord Jesus Christ in John 14, verses 15 to 17, says these words. He says in verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says, if you love him, if you say that you are affiliated to Christ, you will keep his commandments. And what are these commandments? Well, this is one of them. That we should let our yes be yes, our no be no and that anything else comes from evil. So he's reiterating here that those who belong to him are commandment keepers. They walk in holiness. But that still doesn't answer our question. What is going to help me? How am I going to achieve this? He continues in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and dwells in you. Rather, and will be, with, will be in you. So the Lord Jesus Christ has given us his Holy Spirit. We have not been left alone. We have been given the Holy Spirit to help us on this path as we've been sanctified and has been being conformed to the image of Christ. You know, this calling is steep, but there is help. And that help is the power of God. We have got the help from God himself to enable and equip us to walk on this path of holiness. And therefore, we do not then be discouraged when we see the call to, to walk in this way and say, it is something that I cannot do. If you are in Christ, you have help. You know, he says that, that the world cannot receive him. If you are not in the world, you're in Christ, then this help is available to you. Then be encouraged and know that you can do this. This is something that you can achieve. Because why? You are being sanctified. God is working to conform you to the image of Christ, to conform you to his son. And so therefore, as a believer, I want you to be encouraged by this. One, heed the call to holiness. It is a high calling where God says, be holy, for I am holy. Now, how can I be holy as God is holy? But in Christ, we get the righteousness of God, as Paul tells us in Corinthians. And then we see this then being worked out as we're being sanctified. So it is a call that we do not run away from. It is a steep calling, but there is the power of God behind it to help us achieve such a calling. But you might also be here this evening as someone who you know, is not a believer. You know, you, you've looked at life through the lenses of the narrow laws that I have to keep to appear righteous, the narrow, the narrow down laws that I have to do such that I can then be acceptable before God. You know, what are the things that I have to do? You've got a list, you've got the do's and don'ts. You, know, you are striving by your own strength, trying to get yourself to a point where one day you can stand before God and say, look, I tried and I strived to live a holy life. I strived, I strived to do the right things. And so you might then find yourself in a point where now you are tired and you are weary for it is hard work. Trying to meet God's law by your own strength is hard work. Even when it is narrowed down like the Pharisees did it, where they had made it very simple, it's still a lot of work. And you will find yourself toiling and tired of just trying and striving to do this. And to you also I say, hear these words from the Lord Jesus Christ from Matthew chapter 11. 
In Matthew 11, verse 28, the Lord says these words. He says in verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and, will, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you are being burdened by trying to do it by yourself and you are striving, and I can tell you now you're never going to reach that goal, come to Christ and his burden is light and his yoke is easy. And that also is encouragement to you, the believer, that this, this burden that you take on by following Christ, it is not a heavy one. It is an easy yoke and a light burden because there's the power of God behind it. And so if you are an unbeliever and you, you're trying by your own strength, give up surrender to Christ. Come to him and let him be the one who helps you. Let him be the one who helps you to be holy as God is holy. And so that is really the, 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 the teaching here this evening from this text is that we ought to be a people that are holy as God is holy. And specifically this evening through this text in Matthew 5, the Lord is talking to us about how we commit ourselves. So the call to you all this evening and to myself also is that let us go forth and be a people whose yes is yes and no is no. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you help us not to miss the point of the call, that we are indeed called to be holy as you are holy. And we ask that you now help us to heed this command and go forth and walk in obedience. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.